This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Finding Your Bliss with host Judy Liebrach, heard every Saturday at 1 p.m. on Zoomer Radio. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Finding Your Bliss, the show that helps you find and follow your bliss. I'm Judy Liebrach, and today our celebrity guest is actress and comedian Claire McConnell, best known for portraying Effie Newsom on the popular CBC series Murdoch Mysteries, and Klingon leader Dennis on the Paramount Plus series Star Trek Discovery. Her list of television credits is as long as your arm. It includes shows such as Slasher on AMC, American Gods, Stars, Coroner, The CW, Killjoys, Sci-Fi, Nurses on Global and NBC, Winona Earp, Sci-Fi, Avocado Toast, Prime and Out TV, Hudson and Rex on City TV, she voices Ayanna in Ubisoft's Rainbow Six Siege and Clarice in Supermassive Games' House of Ashes. She is also an alumna of the Second City main stage, and she's up for a Canadian Screen Award this April. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Claire McConnell, welcome to Finding Your Bliss. Thanks so much for having me. Let's start with the Canadian Screen Award nominations. Congratulations, by the way on all of them because you're nominated for a few things. You're nominated for Best Supporting Performance in a Web Program or Series for Avocado Toast. As well, the show is also nominated for Best Program or Series and Best Direction in a Web Program or Series. Such exciting news. What is it like for an actor when you get that news that you're nominated for a Best Supporting Performance Award? Where were you and how did you find out? I was actually in LA with my friend Bea Santos, who plays Miss Cherry on Murdoch Mysteries. We're sort of rivals and sometimes best friends on that show, depending on the episode. And yeah, we were just out for a drive and I heard and we ripped down the highway. We were driving down um, the, I was going to say the QEW. The LA version. Yeah, I don't know, the one by the water. And we just blasted the theme to Big Little Lies for some. Yeah, it was a sweet moment. That's fantastic. So well deserved. So well deserved. I've watched a bunch of your your stuff. We're also going to talk all about Avocado Toast in just a moment, a hilarious comedy web series. But I wanted to give our listeners some context first. And I, I want to tell our audience that Claire is no stranger to comedy. And in fact, Claire, you're a seasoned comedy artist. And it's no coincidence that you can be found doing comedy with world-renowned Second City Ensemble. In fact, you did your first professional comedy show at 18 years old at the Calgary International Improv Festival alongside Whose Line Is It Anyway star Colin Mockery. That's pretty cool. And (laughs) the beginnings of your performance career were in the converted garage space that Calgary's Improv Guild called home. And then shortly thereafter, you made the move to Toronto to attend the theatre program at Ryerson and began to audition for film and TV. But what I found so fascinating in studying, you know, your whole career is that you also went to the Second City headquarters in Toronto when you were only 20 years old 
And then you turned back again, not returning to the famed improv comedy theater that launched the careers of such luminaries as Dan Aykroyd and John Candy, Martin Short, Mike Myers, and Gilda Radner. And then you finally made your debut in 2019 as part of the main stage cast in the show, If I Could Throw Back Time, a sketch comedy review show. Who gets that except for Nia Vardalos? Like, that's a pretty cool beginning. Yeah. (laughs) Right? You got into the house company. Was that a real trip for you? And can you tell us more about that experience? And also, just as a life coach myself, about the turning back and then coming back when you were ready. Yeah, I, I guess I just felt like there was no way I fit in that context. I wasn't ready to see myself in that way yet, even though there was something inside of me clearly that was calling me towards it. It just felt kind of audacious to (laughs) consider myself an actual comedian at that point. And then I just kept getting pulled back to it because the film and TV side of this industry can be so isolating and improv and sketch and stand up. That's an area where you actually get to self-direct and decide when you get to perform which in film and TV, there's just so much waiting for permission. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I found that even through theater school, doing 10 hour days and doing on camera classes on the weekends, I would still find time to do an improv show because I wanted to be on stage. Mm -hmm. And that's how I got to do it. And it probably fueled you, right? It fueled you even for your other work. I'm sure it informed the acting for film and TV, even though it's a sort of a different genre in a way. But one informs the other. Would that be accurate? Definitely. And it's the form of film and TV that I've found to be the most comforting. When I, when I need something, when I'm having, you know, a low day, I'll turn on a sitcom or I'll throw on a Christopher Guest movie or something. It's usually (laughs) not the heart wrenching films that I'll put on for a good cry. Like I love being carried by, by brilliant comedians when I'm feeling low. I'm really grateful to all of them for doing that for me. Were you a funny kid? I don't think so. I was a very serious kid. I had a lot of systems. (laughs) I was really kind of hell-bent on self-improvement and on hacking adulthood. Wow. That's so interesting. How so? Give me an example. I um, I loved lists. I was really obsessed with creating the perfect routine. And I was so afraid of slipping into an adulthood where I'd let go of of a dream and when I where I'd slipped into being stressed about things that as a kid you can see through. You can see through see how silly they are. Wow. You know, if we're not hmm, I've lost my little You I think you had a sense that purpose was important and enlightenment and and a dream and a purpose and a, a raison d'etre and your why and your calling. Yeah. And it was I could see how easy it was to be distracted from that. Mm-hmm. So I was a little bit obsessive about my New Year's resolutions and my journaling. And yeah, it was only really in high school that I started to get into doing improv. And that was around the time I, my dad got quite sick and I just needed an outlet. Oh, sorry. And it was a place that demanded that I would be fully present. Wow. I find that people who do improv, I brought up Nia Vardalos, but I know quite a few are so brave. And so courageous because you don't have a script. You don't really have any, you have a loose script. You don't have a lot to hide behind. It's just you. It's you and your wit 
and you're, you know, whatever it is that you have and you have to just go for it. Do you get scared when you go on to do sketch comedy or do some improv? Totally. But it's, it's exposure therapy because the spoiler is that every single time it's been fine, you know, even, <laughs> even the nights where it's truly been abs, it's been a bomb night in the city. We all walk off stage and we pat each other on the back and have a drink and have a laugh. And those are actually the shows that we still talk about. We don't talk about the banger shows where right. <laughs> it's the one where we had a buyout of 50 Marines, 50 U.S. Marines in uniform who didn't last oh, anything. No. We were terrified the whole show. Like, oh my goodness. Those ones are the gifts. I used to be married to a stand-up comedian. I'm married to a doctor now, but I was married to a stand-up comedian. (laughs) (laughs) We're still very good friends, but I really get the world quite well. So anyway, all this to say that it's not surprising that you were so hilarious in Avocado Toast. And I hear that much of your performance was actually improvised in the moment and that you just ran with it, sometimes even off script, which I found so incredible. And I realized when I researched you, this, of course, probably originated in part from your Second City experience. But for audience members who may not know the show Avocado Toast, can you tell us a little bit more about this very funny and brilliant web series? Yeah, it's such a special show. The creators, Perry Voss and Heidi Lynch, wanted to tell an intergenerational sex positive story about kind of this second puberty that doesn't get talked about that much of the late 20s and really letting go of being an adolescent truly and and the resistance around that and how much comedy comes from that. I. And I will say, I mean, there was definitely some improv in there, but full credit goes to them for writing such a freaky lady. (laughs) And our supervising producer, Mag Ruffman, who's a brilliant talent, of course, wrote to Avonlea seven years and many, many other things, Tool Girl and all sorts of things. What was it like working with Mag? We didn't really, cr- we crossed paths on an IPF trailer, which we later made called uh, Finding Green. And I couldn't, <laughs> I, could, I couldn't look her in, like, she's so funny that yes. I had to, and I find that in uh, working with a true, like, comedic genius, I have to stare at as just a spot on their forehead and act. And I was like, I'm, all of my takes would be busted if I looked you in the eye. <laughs> Oh, that's so wonderful. She'll she'll love that. She'll love to hear that. It wasn't long before you dropped out of school to join Second City that you starred in your first feature film. Like I always feel there's a common denominator of effortless grace in your career, which I know there's a lot of hard work. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't feel that way. But it's quite interesting. You a lot of great things happen for you. You got this film, Dim the Fluorescence, winning the Slam Dance Grand Jury Prize. What was it like doing your first feature film? Oh, I felt so lucky to be considered for that role. And when I first auditioned, I actually had just gotten my wisdom teeth out. I was so close to not auditioning because I was still on the painkillers. And I called my agent that morning. I was like, I'm high. I can't, I can't do this. And she's like, I think it's going to be fine. Just go in, do your best. And then I did. And wow, I really could have slipped into a true substance abuse spiral. Because it was so fun. I just went in completely. I was like, there's no way this is going to go well. It was sort of, I remember parts of the audition, like I had a long monologue and I kind of got bored of myself during it. 
because I was so high on these T3s. <laughs> and I just started staring. <laughs> and then on the day for that actual, for the actual thing, the director was like, can you do that thing that you did in the audition? <laughs> I don't know what was going on, man. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh my God. It's also, and I, I know I mentioned this a little bit, but impressive that your three-year rise through Second City's ranks coincided with the launch of your acting career, which has included credits with so many popular television series, which we'll get to in a moment, but of course, including Klingon leader Dennis and Star Trek Discovery, Iran, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, on American Gods, Petra in the Alberta shot, Winona Earp, Effie Newsom on Murdoch Mysteries. When it rains, it really pours, doesn't it? What has it been like balancing all this? And if you found that one medium really helps the other, is there one medium you prefer? I really feel like I need both. Mm-hmm. When COVID hit and I stopped performing live, but mm-hmm. was still doing on-camera stuff, was I was lucky enough to keep working mm-hmm. uh, in that time. I really missed the direct feedback of an audience yes. and also the practice that it gives in, in just letting go. Mm-hmm. Like what happens on the stage is just for that night. It's process and product at the same time. Yes. And that's the thing that I struggle the most with with film and TV is how separated the process and the product are. Yes. It's so irrelevant how you feel on the day to what it looks like when it's been edited and it's put together and then it's on the internet forever. I know. Horrifying. Um, oh. <laughs> and, and exciting, you know, it's nice if it's something you're proud of, but it's like, it's so vulnerable. Yes. Yes. Did you find Zoom auditions to be difficult? I'm sure you had to do a lot of auditions or, or at least practices on Zoom. How did you sort of combat that Zoom audition thing? Because I think that would be hard to not have that immediate feedback of the live person or yeah. person sitting at that audition table. I, this is controversial in the uh, acting world right now, because I actually prefer a Zoom audition, a live Zoom audition to a self-tape. A lot really? of people prefer self-tapes, but I find I have no adrenaline when I'm doing a self-tape. Yes. And, it, and it's helped me to learn that that feeling of like, oh my God, I'm going to die when I'm like waiting in the audition room. That's actually the thing that I, that's how I, how I book. Like, it's the weirdest thing. It's that like sick to my stomach feeling. Then you go into the room and it, I guess it's behind the eyes or something. And it forces you to be present. Right. Right. So interesting. It's also the way you frame things, right? It sounds like you're very good at framing things to just make them work. And and <laughs> that helps, right? You're a beautiful actor, Claire. And I loved watching clips of some of your performances on many television programs you're part of. But what I think most people know you for, a lot of people know you for, is Murdoch Mysteries. Can you tell us a bit about your recurring character, Effie Newsom? I know that your character is Ruth Newsom's dear, dear, dear cousin of the Wexford <laughs> Newsoms, first introduced in season 12 of Murdoch Mysteries and portrayed by you. Can you tell us more about Effie Newsom? Oh, I've loved playing Effie over the last, I guess it's been four years now. That's wild to think about. But I only thought I was going to do two episodes initially. That's all I was signed on to do. And I've just been so lucky to be able to keep working there over this time. I've learned so much. It was the second TV gig I ever booked. So it's been such a great place for me to like come face to face with any anxieties and any kind of performance hangups and work them out in real time. Mm. 
and get a chance to come back next episode and do it again. Like who gets, who gets that opportunity over four seasons? But they love you. And what is it about the character that you relate to or that, because this character is clearly working. It's just beautiful. Everything you do with her. What is it about Effie and you that clicks? Effie reminds me a lot of my grandma. She was a very direct woman. (laughs) (laughs) And the older I get, the more I, the more I admire how direct she was, especially knowing the time that she was born in and the strength that it took for Mm -hmm. her to stick to her guns and speak her mind. Even if sometimes as her grandchild, it was a bit intense. Like (laughs) I, I love that I get to channel that through Effie. And she also knows how to have a good time, but she's not going to take shit from anyone in a time when women were taking a lot of it. I love that. I love that. She sounds like my, my late grandma Jean. (laughs) They have something in common. We have a wonderful clip that I'd love to share with our audience from the episode Honeymoon in Hampshire from Murdoch Mysteries, season 16. Let's roll that clip. Besides, Mr. Cornish has seniority all for me. Thus, it was the logical choice. Yes, that's one theory. Allow me to posit another. Mr. Cornish was chosen over you because as a manager, he would never have put up with this. (laughs) We found this in our room. Is this the type of service becoming of your supposed top suite? Please, keep your voice down. I will not be silenced. Not until you tell me how a mouse got into my suite. How about a fruit plate? A lovely selection of fruits will be on the way to your room. Compliments of the house. And a cheese plate? Yes, of course. Also complimentary. And a bottle of Armagnac. I can arrange some of our fine house sherry. Armagnac. Take or leave. 20 years minimum. Perhaps I can rustle up a ten. That may suffice. And you need to promise to keep this little incident under wraps. That'll depend on how quickly we get the goods. Chop, chop. Oh, I didn't know you were going to do this. <laughs> so good. So good. It just makes me want to watch. I mean, it's just so good. Can you tell us a little bit more about the clip that we just saw? Yeah, that was a, that was a very fun episode. George, who's played by the wonderful Johnny Harris, uh, also still standing, which if you haven't seen that show, he's amazing on it. We head off on our honeymoon and Spoiler, there's a murder. <laughs> um, it was so fun to shoot that episode. We had such wonderful guest stars. And I always love when Johnny and I are given a little bit of license to do some physical comedy. And there's a little bit of room for us to create bits together. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Well done. Well done. I'd love to hear more about Murdoch Mysteries. You've been part of the cast since season 12 back in 2018. Now you're still part of the show in season 16 of this popular program. Do you remember your audition for that show? And did you realize at the time that this was going to become a longstanding gig? I know you just said you were booked for two episodes, but what happened at that audition? Did you have a good vibe? It was such a blast auditioning for the role. I remember getting the sides and thinking, she was such a fun chick and I just really, (laughs) I liked her energy and I went in and played. I remember I played a bit of a softer version because I told myself that's probably what they would want. And Gary Harvey, who directed that episode was in the room and he was like, take all the sweetness out. 
just completely dry her out and give us the flattest, like, tossing, <laughs> tossing line, like knifing him with the lines. Wow. And I did. And I had, I had so much fun and I thought it was really cool that that was the direction, especially, I think I was 23 or 22 when I wow. did that audition. And so many of the roles I was going out for still demanded that kind of sweetness. And so I, just assume that that came with the territory, but I love that Gary saw something else in it and gave me license to play with that. Oh, when were you bit by the acting bug, Claire? Was this something that were you always in the school plays and musicals? And like, when, when did this sort of come to you and make you go, I got to do this. I got to do this thing called acting and performing. I always loved going to theater. My parents brought us to a lot of shows and we were really lucky to be involved. We were, were child ushers at the theaters uh, in Calgary. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And so I was always kind of around these very gregarious people, but I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. There were lots of things that I was interested in. And then it really was around the time that my dad was ill and I had just started high school and it was just a really intense period. And I just found so much comfort in joining the improv team and being involved in the play because you can't be anywhere else. No matter what's happening in your life, when you're on stage, you have to be with the person who's right in front of you. And I think that's what's um, kept me going with it too. I, I It's medicine. Wow. It's so interesting when you say that. I just realized that you have to be mindful. You have to be in a state of mindfulness when you're on stage, particularly when you have to think on your feet like that, you don't have time to worry about what's just happened or what's about to happen. You're present. Yeah. And it's also, it's a kind of a litmus test for how you really, how you are doing. Like sometimes I'd be coming from hearing some difficult news about my dad's health at home and be stepping on stage for a second city show. And there were actually a few nights where I had I had panic attacks on stage, but nobody would have, an audience member wouldn't have known because my mouth kept saying the words it was supposed to say. Mm. And wow. In that way, it can also be a powerful tool because I learned to trust that I have my own back. Even if truly the worst thing is happening in my mind that I I got this. It's not a, it's not a feeling I, I would really wish on anyone to mm-hmm. feeling that vulnerable in front of 350 people, but wow, it was a, a feeling that made me, made me a stronger person. What an empowering notion to have. Cause I think a lot of actors wouldn't agree. You know, wouldn't say that they would be like, I was holding my breath, you know, wondering if I'd be able to make it. But the fact that you know that you're going to be okay, what an incredible gift that is. I think I know now, I mean, in the moment, a panic attack is a horrifying thing. And I certainly didn't think I was going to be okay, but it happened a few times and it was a wake up call to be a lot gentler with myself. And, and also knowing though, that even worst case scenario, even I'm going to do my first ever stand up set tonight. (laughs) And I can do that knowing that worst case, I literally have a panic attack tonight over at tall boys on Bloor and I'll be okay. Wow. You have your first stand-up gig tonight? Yeah. So this is not sketch comedy. This is just Claire being Claire. How many minutes of material do you have? I got to do a tight five. A tight five. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. 
I'd love to hear about that. Will you write to us and just tell us how it went? I think you're going to kill. As they say in the industry, I think you're going to kill. I have that feeling. Kill or I'll die. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) That's so cool. Good for you. That's awesome. You're also part of the Star Trek series, which is so amazing. You were cast as the character Dennis. Am I pronouncing that incorrectly? Dinesh. Dinesh. Oh, Dinesh, yeah. it has even more panache that way. Uh, <laughs> the, the leader of the government of the science fiction franchise's notorious alien race, the Klingons. And Dinesh is the leader of one of 24 Klingon houses in a story that takes place 10 years before the adventures of Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock in the original Star Trek series. That, that's so cool. This happened 10 years before Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock as we know them. That's fascinating. Can you tell us more about your character, Dinesh, especially how you had to learn the Klingon tongue for the role? We're going to go on a short commercial break and find out all about how Claire McConnell had to learn the Klingon language for her role when we come back. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by Create, Canada's leading fertility center for over 25 years. Create is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. Create is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, Create is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. Create has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? Create Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about Create Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. Hi, everyone. We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. And I've really been having the most delightful time talking to actress and comedian Claire McConnell. And I was just asking you before the break, Claire, what it was like having to learn a different language for your role in Star Trek. Yeah, I just thinking of you. So you saying Dennis just now reminded me that <laughs> most of my family's in in Ireland, and when I booked oh. that role the first time, I went back over to visit. They're all like, "Oh, Jesus, here comes Dennis the Klingon." That's hilarious. Um, yeah, Dennis was a very fun role. <laughs> I loved learning. I loved learning the language. I feel like I'm realizing and talking to you. I'm like, I kind of like putting myself through stuff. Like it, it was kind of the height of discomfort in many ways, like physical discomfort from yes. like the prosthetics and everything, and then speaking a different language. But there was something about that that really gave me freedom to be like, well, I'm do. I'll do my best. <laughs> What a blast. It was so, it's the same with when I get an audition that has an an accent required. It kind of gets me out of my own Mm -hmm. way a little Mm -hmm. bit. There's something else to focus on. 
Absolutely. I read that you spent a few hours each day being fitted with elaborate prosthetics to capture an unexpected new look for the warrior race. And we found some pictures of you in character and you look positively unrecognizable. And acting is challenging enough. What was it like sitting there behind a wall of latex and makeup as they spent hours applying facial prosthetics to achieve this character's desired look? How long did it take and what was that like for you, the the fake teeth and all? The fake teeth were the most challenging part because that was that was something that came a little bit later in the process, and it's not um, <laughs> we're not comfortable by by any means. Oh, in the end, they actually made the language sound better because I can I can be you know I can say like <laughs> but it's, it sort of still sound like a human woman. I mean, thankfully, I guess. <laughs> Um, but something about those big fangs actually did kind of make it all a bit of uh, a little rougher and uh, <laughs> sounding. And I really liked going under for the prosthetics. I after, you know, 18 hours into a day, they certainly take a toll. But looking back on that gig, I really I'm so grateful for it. And I also wish that I had let myself be a little bigger with it. Mm. Like um, just give myself a little more license to to play. I was so, I had been taking all these on-camera classes and it was my first TV gig. And <laughs> I was so um, in the school of like smaller, smaller is better. Yes. You know? so yes. Being very subtle. Cling on. <laughs> <laughs> That's maybe not the moment. Like, <laughs> I wish I had let myself oh. be a little freakier with it. When you landed this dream role, you had to keep it a secret. And you weren't even able to tell your dad, who was a Trekkie. So perhaps leaning on your Calgary improv training, you made up a show called Tennessee Fields, in which you played a character who came from some other universe. Can you tell us more about that? That was for my roommates. I kept, uh, <laughs> I kept coming home and I would have just like the residue of the Klingon makeup. The only place you would have real makeup on your eye, it was on your eyes because yes. the rest of the face is covered in the prosthetics. And they knew that I had left theater school and they knew that I was disappearing for these great lengths of time. So I made up this show. The code name for the show was Tennessee Honey. And I uh, told them I was on Tennessee Fields and that it was about like this prairie family who was, was visited by these creatures. And, and I would have to keep adding to it because they'd be like, what happens in this episode? <laughs> Oh my God, I'm so relieved when I could finally just tell the truth. Tell the truth. What was it like and what was your dad's reaction when you were finally able to tell him? Uh, he was uh, he was very proud. Yeah, I can yeah. just imagine. Like I, I'm trying to imagine your parents and your family's pride in watching a lot of your career. And you must be so excited for your family and friends to watch the Canadian Screen Awards tomorrow on Sunday, April the 16th. I believe. I think the web ones are on the on the twelfth, but maybe I'm wow. wrong. That's <laughs> I should double so, check. That's so exciting. Well, don't worry. We're going to tell everyone at the, at the end of the show. You're also you're working so much. You're part of Slasher season five, the television anthology series. You're in the new season, which is going by the title Slasher Ripper, and it just premiered on Shutter and AMC Plus streaming services back on April the sixth. What is it like to join such successful shows in their later seasons? I was thinking when I read this, that is it kind of like coming to a new school for the first time in grade six? What has that been like for you? Yeah, it is a little bit of a new kid feeling, but by the same token, it means that there isn't that 
panic of a show in its kind of, it's still not quite born. Like being a part of the first season of the full reboot of the Star Trek franchise, Discovery was really the first of this new Star Trek renaissance. And there was a real energy of, you know, nobody wants to be the one who messes it up. Like we're bringing back this iconic thing. So there is something beautiful about being a part of that, but there's also something a little more relaxing about stepping into a show that's already well on its way. Yes. You you become the fresh new blood that the show needs. You become like the, you know, it, it's exciting to, I think to be that person. And I think it's exciting for the company and the cast to have, to have you <laughs> give some new life, right? Huh. When you aren't on stage doing sketch and improv with Second City Touring Company, people can catch you in action on CBS Emmy nominate. Star Trek Discovery, or as Aaron Mar- Martin on Coroner, or as mentioned, Effie Newsom on CBC's Murdoch Mysteries, you've really taken the Canadian film and TV industry by storm, and you still have a regular gig as a Canadian Comedy Award-nominated member of the iconic Second City. How do you keep it all together? Because that's a lot of balancing access. So I was wondering when I was putting this together, are you a very organized person? Do you have a fabulous organizer or Excel spreadsheet? Because that's a lot going on. I get, I mean, I'm not doing Second City anymore. So balancing that schedule, the eight shows a week with film and TV, wow, that was a lot. And I only really realized when COVID hit and I stopped doing both things, how intense that was. Wow. How did you keep, I'm just curious about how you kept that together with the eight shows a week at night. Like, I'm just trying to picture that and then doing it, doing gigs during the day and TV and like, when did you eat? <laughs> when did you sleep? <laughs> I did join a meal prep service at that time. <laughs> but I found that it's harder to work less because you get precious about things. And that mm-hmm. is poisonous. Mm-hmm. At least for me, I, I know that that's the worst thing that can happen to a performance is that I get this thought of this is my chance. Mm-hmm. And you're doomed. Mm-hmm. As soon as that enters your head, you're done for. Because yes. there's no way you can hold that and also hold the entirety of what's happening in front of you with your scene partner. At the same time, part of you is existing in this like clenched world where this is your moment. Yes. And of course it's not. Absolutely. What do you do to relax and unwind? Do you have a regular exercise or yoga and meditation practice? Yeah. I, I like doing Pilates and bar and stuff. Um, The meditation practice comes and goes, but I do notice a big difference when I'm being more diligent with that. And it is, it works. It really unfortunately does. And you know what I always say, what I always say to people is I think people have this preconception that it has to be, you know, 30 minutes on a meditation cushion or, you know, really traditional, it can be two minutes a day. But if you do two minutes every day, you just start your day that way or end your day or both. It's just such a small amount of time and you start to really build that muscle. Like it, it just does really work. Do you think, oh, sorry, go ahead. Finish your thoughts. Sorry. It just makes such a difference on sets that are, where there's a lot of sensory input and it's so easy. You come in professionally as someone who, when the camera's rolling, you take things personally Mm -hmm. and that's your role. That's your, that's your job to be sensitive and to, to take it in and be, you know, punched in the gut by something that someone says to you on camera. And then the cameras aren't rolling it can be hard to, to, to turn that off or to dampen it mm-hmm. and hold, have the professional space to, 
taken notes and and take them as gifts. And mm-hmm. I, I, I love a note. I'm always happy to be kind of thrown for a loop in any way. Like, that's, that's <laughs> Clearly. Yeah. But I recently I was on a video game gig and it's really detailed work. It's really specific, the mocap and the timing. And mm. they, they just need things, the performance and the movement to be extremely specific. Mm-hmm. And I found, like you were saying, the mindfulness practice of being able to take that in and know that, you know, we've done this take quite a few times and we haven't quite hit it yet and not take that as a personal failing, but be like, great, that's my job. My job is to do it again. Let's go. Yes. And what a great attitude. I think you must be a director's dream. I'm sure I'm not the first person to say that. I'm asking if you sing, because I didn't read anything about singing, but you have a lovely tone to your voice. I'm wondering, do you sing? I alone. (laughs) Do you love to sing? I feel like you love it. I do. I do. Yeah. It's not something that I've really explored doing on stage. There's something about the earnestness of doing that in a non like second city song way that yeah. is really scary <laughs> to me. I have so much admiration for uh, musicians who don't need to make it funny. It's so brave to sing. And I have so much admiration for singers and musicians as well. We love having music on this show. Another person who's so brave and is very much in the news these days is filmmaker Sarah Pauly for her Oscar win for Best Adapted Screenplay for Women Talking. And I know you were deeply affected by Run Towards the Danger, Sarah Pauly's wonderful book. Can you tell us more about why this book has had such a profound impact on you? Oh, she's just, she's such a treasure. I found it was like reading, uh, not not for each of the essays, but for, for many of them, it felt like she put words to experiences that I've had that I haven't been able to distill. And it was really moving to read her take on these things that have happened and to think, I don't know how old she is, but it felt like a letter from an older version of myself. Wow. Uh, in certain parts. And I just have so much admiration for it's really, I think it may be, I have it right here. I feel like some, one of the pull quotes says the word unflinching. And if there's ever, if there ever was an unflinching book, this is it. She really just doesn't let herself off the hook and also owns so much of her own um, imperfection in all of it. It's not a victim's story, mm-hmm. but it's just all so true. And that's what I, that's my dream to do that in my work and to be able to, God, if I could ever offer anyone that feeling that I had of reading her story, I think that would be um, pretty special. I need to send this to Sarah Polly. She needs to hear that. I actually have her book on my bedside table and I'm, and, and now you've convinced me that uh, I've got to read it. Oh, and women talking. I saw oh, a, a tiss and she did a talk back after. That was another, another moment of feeling like, she built something that was even in the moments where it calls itself out. I think there's a moment where one of the characters says, this is so boring. <laughs> the other, you know, it. she just doesn't let herself hide for a second. I just, yeah. I really, when the lights came up and everyone was cheering, I felt like we're going to change the world. I've never <laughs> truly felt that after a movie. I just was like, this is a new chapter. And she yes. started it. Yes. Yes. That get watching her win that Oscar oh. for best screen. Glorious. Glorious. Wow. Like I was just like, I, I just, I just couldn't even believe it. 
And I love that she tackles the heaviest things. This is not, I mean, I read this on the beach in Costa Rica. It is not a beach read. I <laughs> <Yes>. was like, Steve <laughs> <Eve> crying. <laughs> like, but it, within that, she leaves so much room for lightness and for humor. It's a really funny book, yes. which you wouldn't think if you were to read the list of things she tackles in it. Yes. She's something else. So are you. Oh, you too. Have you ever been tempted to move to the U.S. and what has kept you in Canada? Uh, yeah, very much. I'd love to. I'd love to go down to the states. I've just been so lucky to keep working here, mm-hmm. and also the gift of being an actor in Canada is that it's a smaller industry where you can't really afford to be pigeonholed. <laughs> and so the diversity of projects that I've gotten to be a part of, I think is it's way wider than it would have been if I'd started off in the States where it's very much like the industry is so huge that you have to have a thing that's mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. I just like have, I haven't really been defined in that way up here. And that's really exciting. I remember years ago interviewing Tabora Johnson and she would say in Canada, you have to be a session singer, do children's shows, one woman shows, plays, musicals, like do it all, right? As opposed to exactly what you're saying. What advice do you have for someone any age from five to 95 who may be listening about how to follow your dreams and pursue this career, especially your career, which is so multifaceted? What advice do you have for someone who might be 70 who's listening to this and maybe wanting to do it? I think it's about recognizing when one of those little twinkles comes into your head and you have you have like that little mic it might be a tiny burst of energy towards an idea and it, it doesn't maybe feel like enough to get you all the way there. It might be a huge idea, but it's something it's just like a little a little voice. <laughs> and a unit of energy. And I found that the thing that keeps propelling me is really acknowledging that. And even if I can't in the moment do something about that idea, my notes app on my phone is chock full of (sighs) half thoughts and half jokes. And eventually when you have the space, look through them and, and then you'll find the next little twinkle, the next little unit of energy and which one lights you up the most. Is there a book in you? Maybe. I don't know if it would be about the creative process, but I would love to. I feel like I've got a few stories that might be telling. <laughs> wow, that'd be so cool. I could actually talk to you for another hour and I know we're running out of time. I have another question about, again, sort of about acting, but best advice or tips to sketch comedy artists or stand up, what you're about to do, about how to become a success professionally in the industry. What's the secret? I think the first step is to not think about being a success in the industry. Being a success to yourself is the only thing that matters. Mm -hmm. And if you're making things that you find funny, if you genuinely are lit up by an idea and it makes you laugh when you're in your house by yourself, (laughs) that's the thing to do and not, not diluting it. I think that's key making things that are your taste specifically and honing in on what that lens is. I feel like I, I learned so much at Second City and I'm so grateful for that time. And I did learn a lot about my taste, but I am finding in my time, my post-Second City time, and maybe there will be more Second City time. I'd love that. But really digging into what tickles me 
And having a direct output for that is really thrilling. Exhilarating, exhilarating. In addition to your notes app on your phone, do you also keep a journal? Yeah, yeah. Journals are great. Do you find journal writing to be cathartic, healing, little miracles start to appear on the page, right? Totally. And I do this thing sometimes, which I write like future journal entries, like very detailed ones as if the day has (laughs) happened. Especially if I'm really nervous for a day on set or if let's say there's a specific scene that I'm nervous to do, I'll journal as if it's happened and write down exactly how I felt in this dream. Oh, that's fabulous. That's just like a dream manifestation. That's fantastic. That's what a great idea. It's like the same as anxiety. Anxiety is just negative, like negative daydreaming. Yes. Just building the muscle to positively be like, and what if it was so good? What if it went like... Yes. Well, it's so true. I'm, I'm a life coach and I'll often say to people, take that anticipatory anxiety and just tweak it a little bit and turn it into excitement. Yeah. You already have the skill. Of of spinning on something. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Turn it into something good. You wear so many hats. What's your ultimate dream? Like if I could wave my magic fairy wand, what would be your dream role or project? I'd love to do something with Joey Soloway. I really loved Transparent and Afternoon Delight. I'd also love to work with David Wayne or Christopher Guest. I love the really... the deceivingly, it seems like broad comedy, but it's real. I I find it to be just so much more than that. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Comedy really is where my heart lies and I'm loving, I wouldn't even call them detours, but I'm getting to experience a lot of things along the way. But I think that that's where I'm headed. What is bliss for Claire McConnell? Bliss for me is my friends and spending time with the people I love and laughing with them. Yeah. That's really it at the end of the day. So true, isn't it? That's so true. Love that. What is the best way for people to contact you and connect with you on social media and all the rest? How can people follow you? I'm at it's Claire McConnell, C-L-A-R-E-M-C-C-O-N-N-E-L-L. And uh, I post sketches on there. I don't know if I'd call them sketches. I'll call them video essays. And I post about shows, uh, upcoming shows on there. I also have a website, claremcconnell.com. And um, I'll be at the Sudbury Graphic Con, that convention uh, coming up. So that's awesome. Well, good luck at the stand-up gig tonight. That's just so great. And also good luck at the Canadian Screen Awards. If I was voting, my vote would be for you all the way. Thank you so much. (laughs) It's been delightful having you here. Thank you, Claire. Thank you. You can watch the Canadian Screen Awards this Sunday, April 16th at 8 p.m. on CBC or CBC Gym. Don't go away. We're going to go on a short commercial break. More with Finding Your Bliss and talented musician Steve Coven when we come back. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by Create, Canada's leading fertility center for over 25 years. Create is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. Create is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, Create is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. Create has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? Create Fertility Center is here for you. 
Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about Create Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. And playing us out of the show today is the uber-talented musician, Steve Coven. He has been on the show before. He is back today. Let me tell you a little bit about him. Steve is a composer, performer, producer, educator, and filmmaker. In 1993, he established the Steve Coven Trio, touring the world for more than two decades. They have been coined as Canadian cultural ambassadors. Aside from performing worldwide with this trio, Steve also performs solo piano concerts all throughout North America, Europe, and the Caribbean. Dozens of Coven's compositions have been licensed for national and international film and television production. As an educator, Steve has been teaching in the Faculty of Music at Toronto's York University since 2003, teaching contemporary improvisation and jazz piano studies. In addition, Steve teaches in the music department at Centennial College in Toronto, and he also holds a master's in music composition and has presented master classes and clinics all throughout Canada, China, Japan, Colombia, Barbados, Bahamas, USA, and Mexico. Steve is also the education coordinator of the Eleuthera International Jazz Festival in the Bahamas, and he's presented a TEDx talk at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario. Coven is also an award-winning filmmaker, receiving first prize for his documentary, 20, during TIFF 2015, and for his documentary, Improvisation, in the 2018 Toronto Short Film Festival. I'm so excited to share with you a magnificent new piece from Steve Coven called Purple Inspiration. Thank you, Steve, for sharing your magnificent artistry with all of us. Here is Purple Inspiration. Due to international copyright law, podcasts are unable to include music. Music can only be played on the live radio broadcast. Finding Your Bliss airs every Saturday at 1 p.m. If you'd like to hear this artist's music, you can find the link to our Finding Your Bliss SoundCloud in the episode description. Wow, I am blown away by this piece. It is really breathtakingly beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Each week, we spotlight a singer, songwriter, or a musician on the show. If you're a singer, please reach out to us. And if you're an author, artist, yoga, meditation, mindfulness expert, or really anyone who has found and is following their bliss, we would love to hear from you. Also, what did you love about today's show? Are there any guests or topics you would like us to feature on Finding Your Bliss? You can write to us at fybfindingyourbliss.com. I'm also a life coach, and I would love to hear from you if I can help you in any way with your dreams, passion, purpose. That's what I specialize in. You can reach out and contact me at findingyourbliss.com slash coaching. I'm also on Insight Timer, the number one free meditation app. And all you have to do is search up Judy Liebrack. And of course, you can always follow us at The Bliss Minute on Instagram and Facebook. I would like to thank all of our wonderful guests for being on the show today, Claire McConnell and Steve Coven. It was great having you both. Also, thank you to Mag Ruffman, Siobhan Kiley, producer Naira Amani, associate producer Olivia Weatherall, audio engineer Juliana Yanusiello, senior editor Lauren Kaminsky, 
video editor Sierra Brown Rodriguez, audio producer Faz Kazi, and everyone here at Zoomer. And of course, a big thank you to our sponsor, the Create Fertility Center. I'd love to end the show today with some quotes from a beautiful book called A Thousand Paths to Mindfulness by Liz Dean. And the first quote is from Christopher Dimes. And here it is. Mindfulness does not erase negative memories. It transcends them, giving us back our deepest power, which resides in our hearts. And people who practice mindfulness still experience stress, and they may actually experience emotions more strongly, but they are less likely to be overcome by them and more likely to recover quickly. For everyone here, I'm Judy Liebrach, reminding you all that a calm mind is a healthy mind. And I hope that you all, with that in mind, take one step closer to finding your bliss. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.